Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I, like from my earliest memories, didn't even feel safe in my own mind. Mm. Because of what we were taught about, like God seeing everything and... Also, like that, we could sin with our mind, and that sin led to hell. And it was just like such a trap, like to even exist in in reality in my mind. So I often like would think about stories and go into like fantasies of like pretending to be a character from a book because if I was focused on that, if I was living out a different story that wasn't real, that story didn't have hell in it. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. 
content warning. If you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friends, welcome back. Please go over to howmyparentsraisedme.com for this week's blog post, How Does Trauma Lead to Postpartum Depression? There's some great info in this post that will be beneficial to anybody on a healing journey. The link is in the show notes. When you are told from birth that God is watching you, he knows everything, he can even tell what you're thinking, That is some kind of crazy level of control, but that is what can happen to kids who grow up in a very religious family. In this quick chat episode, I'm asking Christina Carlson, an incredible coach who loves holding space for women, about what it was like growing up in a strict evangelical family. The beliefs, the rules, the pressure, how lost she felt living in a world where the expectations of living according to the rules of the church were suffocating. We picked this story up as Christina is talking about how she felt like an outsider in her own family because she felt she could never live up to her high-achieving siblings. Ultimately, the root of it was that I didn't matter. Mm. That's That's like the underlying core belief that is the practice of my life to dismantle and shift. Mm -hmm. Um, But underneath it was just like this, I don't matter. I have to try really hard to try to matter. And so I just, I kind of made it mean that like, that I wasn't as valuable as them because I wasn't like them. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't inside of anything. I always felt like I was on the outside of it. Not because I wasn't doing all of the right things, but because... I had that belief inside of me that I wasn't good enough. And so it didn't actually matter how much I did. I thought that it would matter how much I did, um, but it didn't matter because it was, it was just an internalized belief around that. Yeah, absolutely. And so your family were regular churchgoers. Did you feel safe within that church community? I mean, how does one define safety? I feel like safety is such an individual thing, right? There there was there were spaces like that I felt physically safe, like could run around and do whatever. I never felt like I shouldn't say never. Most of the time I didn't feel like I was in in physical danger at all. But I like from my earliest memories didn't even feel safe in my own mind mm. because of what we were taught about like God seeing everything and Also like that we could sin with our mind and that sin led to hell. And it was just like such a trap, like to even exist in, in reality in my mind. So I often like would think about stories and go into like fantasies of like pretending to be my, a character from a book, because if I was focused on that, if I was living out a different story that wasn't real, that story didn't have hell in it. I wasn't a part of it or this character wasn't like me so they couldn't you know fall into this or whatever and so I really never felt safe in my own emotional experience and that's not to say like I think you mentioned before we got on the podcast like every parent is doing their best and I really believe that of my parents they're kind people and they never hit us or anything like that they were they were exceptionally kind for the community that we were in 
And they really staunchly believed in the things that this community said Mm -hmm. and like to the nth degree. And so I was, I was taught these things from my earliest memories and I just didn't have a place that felt safe. And like, I, I don't think I took a full breath until I was like 26 and I let go of the concept of hell. Wow. Yeah. That's so much, isn't it? And just when you said you weren't even safe in your own thoughts or your own brain, because there's rules around that as well. It's so much. And, and, and parents are, they're obviously church going people. They think that this is what they need to do to be good. And and just not seeing all oh, the effects of that because they're so conditioned themselves to believe that this is everything, this is everything. And if they're doing these things and going to church, then they're doing the right thing. You know, it's it's yeah. such a, a difficult space, isn't it? Um, yeah, and like they really, I mean, they just didn't want us to go to hell. You know, yeah. that's that's the root of it. Like in, in their minds, like, even if it did cause trauma, it was it was better that than than lose me for me being tortured forever in hell, right? Like to them, it was a justifiable like thing, which in in that framework, if that, if you're really believing that literally, it's like, well, yeah, like you know, and they saw it so they saw it so literally. They still do see it so literally that that it is justifiable in their minds and. And it's not really a trauma. It's just a, like a part of life. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I know you speak about an incident with a youth leader at the church. Yeah. And and now that you're saying that, I'm like, which, which one? Oh, wow. <laughs> There's multiple. I, I think the one that I mentioned was I was, I was preparing to go on a mission trip with this church community that was affiliated with my high school. And I had like this relationship with this pastor that like, I don't know, like reevaluating and looking back doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But it took it took me a long time to reevaluate this because I didn't leave until the church until like 10 years later. And then eight years after that, I was like, oh, that was weird. But it was just a little too intimate. There's aspects of that that I don't fully remember. And some instances, like people telling me things about it or his wife telling me things that were just like, doesn't add up. That being said, I don't fully remember it. But the thing that I do remember is, is I was on the phone with him and I asked him something about the mission trip. I was like, do we need to be at this meeting? And how long is the meeting? Because I had homework, I was involved in sports and I was tired (laughs) and I just needed to know like, you know, how long is the meeting or whatever. And he like, he fully went off on me as like an adult grown man, just yelling at me on the phone, telling me that I, that my attitude brings down the entire youth group community, that when I show up, that my, my temperament is like discouraging to people. And it's like interfering with the spirit of God. And it was like really, really strong language. And so I don't, I don't know how I had to like, balls to just be like okay I'm gonna call you back (laughs) so I called my sister and I was like what's going on this youth pastor's yelling at me she's off at a Baptist college and she had some saneness to like talk me through this but I ended up telling him calling him back and saying like I'm going to think about and evaluate what you said but I'm not going to be going on this trip and I'm not going back to this church 
and leaving. But it was it was really disturbing. And like the the fact that a pastor told a teenager who was depressed that my experience of depression or my sadness was bringing like was inhibiting the spirit of God and ruining everyone's time at an entire youth community is awful. Oh yeah. Wow. And so did you did you leave? Yeah. I did. I did. And then I found out that there was because some of my friends were still attending and there was a lot of other things that took place on that missions trip that were just like really bizarre. Like they weren't allowed to eat for a time and a bunch of them were really sick. And it was just really, there's a lot of stuff that youth groups get away with in the name of like missionary training. And it's a spiritual experience and there's not consent and it's very strange. So a bunch of, almost everyone left after that. Wow. Yeah, well, that was that was incredibly strong. How old were you at that point? I was 15. Yeah, wow. That was really, I mean, a lot of kids would have just taken it and turned up and kept going, you know. So it shows a real strength there that you just were like, well, this is wrong. Because sometimes in those situations, you're so brainwashed into believing that the people in charge are the people, you know, like that they can say whatever they want, right? And at yeah. 15... I feel like that's there's a real strength there to go ahead and do that. Yeah, and like it's it's so funny because I'm like, how? Like I grew up in this. How was I still so stubborn? And I think I think I get this from my mother. My mom is like one of the most strong-willed people ever. And she put it into this black and white community, but it's her view of this community. And so when it came to issues, she had like a diehard perspective on it. And it's just interesting because like when I look back, there's a lot of instances where I was just like, no, this isn't okay. Somehow, even though I was raised in that and I was like, I think that's my mom. I think I get that like survivor German like <laughs> boldness from her. Yeah, it's it's a really great quality to have. And was there an inc- incidence of unwanted touch? in that church there is a few yeah from from youth leaders and from other youth members from from people who were in the youth group community it was disturbing but not quite because it was peer related it was problematic but not as scary to me um Mm -hmm. but there was a youth pastor who was not like the main youth pastor but he was always like going up and tickling girls and we had those foldable seat chairs so every time we would be sitting at the table his hands would like come up and underneath our shirts and like tickle us and it happened like every every time I went to church I was always really uncomfortable sitting in those chairs because like the back is open and it was just like really exposed and apparently he thought it was okay to go around doing that Mm, yeah it's weird isn't it like so so could you ever like say to your mom I'm uncomfortable about certain things that are happening at church would you could you ever speak to her like like that I mean I don't know like I guess I could have but that wasn't considered a problem like Mm. no one saw that as a problem it was just what they did and I because I like because I had internalized the view that like my sexuality was dangerous and my body was the problem and it was my responsibility to not tempt the boys, 
I just sort of assumed that it was like me that was causing the harm. And it was like, Mm. maybe I should be, I should have better boundaries. So I didn't blame him at all. I was just like, oh, I need to dress more appropriately or steer clear of this person or that kind of a thing, you know? Mm. There was that, that same youth pastor that told me I needed to like change my attitude or whatever. One night we were at a youth event and he came up and took, took the ponytail holder out of my ponytail and just ripped it off my head. And I was, I was sitting on a couch and I, my brother's a year younger than me and he sees this happen and he goes over to this youth pastor who's like 200 something pounds and he's a skinny guy, gets in between me and him and says, you need to apologize and give that back. And he did. (laughs) He was like, oh, I'm sorry. Wow. But it was like, why is, why is my 14 year old brother having to come to my rescue from this leader? Yeah. It's just very violating. Like I cried immediately. Like someone just pulled my hair. Like I'm a junior high, I'm self-conscious and he messed up my hair and it hurt, you know? Yeah. Like you say, I mean, in those sort of church environments, there's a there's probably a whole bunch of people that just get into these leadership positions and, you know, they think they now have the power to kind of do whatever they like. And it's quite scary, isn't it, really? Because it's in the name of God and we're all here for love and all of that, people get away with so much stuff. It's kind of, yeah, terrifying to me. It really Uh, is. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So let's talk about Little House on the Prairie because I used to watch that show religiously every Sunday night as a little girl. Absolutely loved it. For anyone that is listening that didn't watch it. It was a historical drama about a family set in the 1870s and lots of things happened to the kids on that show. That makes it sound very boring, but (laughs) historical drama. But I think it was ahead of its time in many ways because there were so many things, so many issues that they talked about. Why did that show have such an impact on you? Oh, I just, okay, so... It it's it was such a drama. I loved 
like to this day i love bbc like longer dramas like bridgerton and like cranford and like all of those drawn out bbc versions of these old shows because i like the drama the interpersonal stuff but in my early memories like because i had adhd i had a really hard time remembering numbers and dates so history was really hard for me and I ended up attaching to history through American Girl Dolls and their historical stories. So I got to remember dates through story. Mm-hmm. And Little House on the Prairie was like a come alive version of American Girl Doll. It was like they got to wear cool dresses. I only wore dresses until I was 12 years old, like only. So they all wore dresses and I thought that was so cool. And it was just so pretty to me, like mm-hmm. not the family, but like they had a, like a town gossip and they got to run around in nature. And like, I ran around with my cousins on their farm. So it felt like I could be this person and they brushed their hair a hundred times at night. Like I loved that. I thought it was so great. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I felt like we, ha- we all had to brush our hair a hundred times. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that's right. I remember that too. Yeah. I think it was ahead of its time, but I, I haven't watched it since I was like 15. Yeah. But you talk about seeing rape portrayed on the show and it's funny because I I do remember seeing that but yeah probably not really understanding it at the time it obviously had an impact on you though yeah I didn't understand what like I didn't get sex education so I didn't understand what that meant I just knew that like he took her and did something and then she was pregnant and ashamed and like her entire community was like shaming her and she didn't have a choice. Like she was drug away from where she was and yet it was still her fault. Mm. And like the fact that someone would like come and take someone away and do that and then completely ruin your life was horrifying to me. And I think I was like eight or nine. I don't remember. Maybe even seven. It was very young. And it was just really scary to me. It was like one of the scariest outside of my own mind and hell. It was like, oh, this can happen in real life. This isn't just hell. This is like something could happen to me and then it could be my fault and my life would be ruined and there would be yeah. nothing that I could do. Mm. And they were the, definitely the values, weren't they, at the time? If you were the woman in a situation like that, then you were the problem. And you mentioned then that you didn't have sex education. Were you able to talk to your mom about that sort of thing? Was How did you get your information? It's an excellent question. I'm like, when did this all happen? So I think at like seven or eight years old, I, I was shown a book, my brother and I were shown a book of Adam and Eve. Right. And it was like, these two came together when they were married and which they weren't married, but like, even in the Bible, they're not married, but they were married and they like had a baby and that was it. And I was like, okay, can we go play now? We ran outside. Then like a year later, my neighbor who was like a little older than me by like one year or something told me what a period was kind of. So I was like kind of getting like drips and drabs from different people. But I bet my mom wasn't someone that I could talk to about that. It was Neither of my parents, they were very, very uncomfortable talking about anything remotely 
sexual. Um, however, when, when I told my mom I was getting married at like 26 and we were like, it was like the week before the wedding. She's like, do you have any questions? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like I'm 26 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's but yeah, I think so funny. Oh, it's, it's it's funny, but it's terrifying. Like, no, I, oh my I get God. It. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like I, I thought when I was in college, I was like, messing around with my one of my boyfriends it was after college actually and like he came and come got on me and our clothes were on but I swore I was I was like I'm gonna get pregnant and I like had a panic attack I was like googling like is this possible and like sex education site so I, I learned sex ed from like those panicky moments I'm just like but what how how does this happen like wow I just didn't know yeah and yeah. and it was interesting being in those scenarios there was no there was no way for for us to be safe like because because saying getting birth control would would be planning to sin right. and we weren't allowed to plan to sin right it was supposed to be like an accident or a mistake. So pre predetermined or whatever was like the concept if we had planned to do so, which I think is why, like, I mean, one of the many reasons why abstinence only education doesn't work is because it was just like this. We were not wanting to plan. We didn't want to plan to sin because that was part of the problem. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. never thought of it that way before. Yeah, yeah, wow. When you would have got your period, maybe that was even just a terrifying kind of incident then if you don't even know what's going to happen to your body. I had my period late, like 15 and a half. So all my friends had gotten it first. And <sighs> thankfully, like I had the American Girl doll book about like what to do when you get a period, how to put a tampon in, which was still terrifying for me. But at least I wasn't panicking because all of my friends had done that first. My sister had first, like it was, thankfully I was surrounded by a group of girls who had been there first. So when I got my period, they were like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it felt yeah. support. It felt supportive in that way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. You need those other people in your life, don't you? Like if you don't have the, the mum that can actually communicate those things to you and you talk about an incident that happened at summer camp being sexualized when you were nine. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, there there was really, really strict restrictions on dress code for summer camps, for church summer camps. And this one particular one is put on by Southern Baptists, the Awana program. It's a Bible memorization program, K through 12. That is all over the Midwest. And I was in it from kindergarten or pre-kindergarten because they had a little daycare there for the youngest ones but the first time we got to go to camp um it was like fifth grade fourth grade it was young anyway I think it was about nine or ten and before we went to camp my mom like took me to the thrift store to get clothes for me I'm really tall and I was really tall then too and so the limit on shorts was like really hard to find we don't have any money my family is poor so my mom took me to the thrift store and was like, let's find some shorts. And so a lot of them were jeans that we cut off to be as long as they were supposed to, because that's all we could do. Some of them were shorts that my mom was like, that's close enough. It was like quarter inch too short. 
um, because they had to be to your fingertips. Wow. Also, I have symptoms of Marfan syndrome, which means my hands are longer than the height of my, like my wingspan, quote unquote, is taller than my body, which is abnormal. So that was the half inch <laughs> that we were dealing with. Wow. And I wore those shorts at camp. And this leader who's given me a hard time all year, like she bullied me about all kinds of things, not getting like the smallest details right. She was super perfectionistic and really rude to me. She was at camp and she came up to me and she's like, let me measure your shorts. And so she had me put my hands down and she's like, your shorts are too short. And she followed me into my cabin and was like, you need to change. So I had to change in front of her, put pants on and then in my sassy ass attitude was like, are these long enough? And she was like, oh, are you getting an attitude with me? And I was like, no. But like, it was it was really disturbing because it was because she's like, you don't want the boys to stumble. Like, that's what this is about. Like, you mm-hmm. as this tiny little kid are like a stumbling block for the boys and adult men leaders. And then you came in here and watched me change. I'm confused. And it was just really shameful and embarrassing. Mm. And I and my mom didn't think I did anything wrong. And so I was really like, but my mom said these are okay. You know, and my mom is like a great person. And (laughs) what, what is the problem? But I was really singled out by her. And it kind of gave me a complex and a rebellious nature around shorts. Yeah, but also just so much shame. Like, oh, so much just your body, you know, and, and your body is going to cause all these people to, you know, have a reaction. I mean, it's like, oh, it's just so much stuff there. (laughs) It is really, it is really hard to like, it's been a challenge for me to, to be in my body around other people Mm. for that reason. Like I'm, I have tended to, because of that, be really conscious about how my body is just existing in a space and drawing attention and whatever, because it's because of all of that, because there's so many of those messages that my body still remembers. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.